thank you very much, DDG. Uh, again, uh, Minister uh, Lavrov, uh, let me thank you for being here in South Africa. I think you would agree that our discussions have been very frank and open and wide-ranging, and I'm pleased to record the progress that uh, was evident on a range of issues relating to the relationship between South Africa and the Russian Federation. We as South Africa attach great importance to fostering and deepening our partnership through strengthening our structured bilateral mechanisms. And so it is in this regard that I look forward to co-hosting the 17th ITEC session during the first quarter of this year. I look forward as well to the implementation of our commitments as discussed in our meeting and to us having a continued closer working relationship. I must say, when we first met and I heard that growl, I didn't think we would become friends, but I believe we are friends now. Our goal is to work unrelentingly toward the upliftment of our respective nations and to do so through the instruments of following policy that we have at our disposal. I believe our shared goal is to witness a significant and greater increase in economic, social, cultural, people-to-people, -people, and scientific interactions between our countries. We've had the opportunity to review the status of some of the currently outstanding agreements and have reiterated our commitments in areas where some work remains to be done. I must thank you most sincerely for the additional scholarships that you announced that would be made available to young South African uh, undergraduate students. I believe most importantly, we should encourage our colleagues in other departments to be responsive to the issues that we have identified as important for advancing our bilateral cooperation. I look forward to welcoming you and your delegation back to South Africa in the not too distant future for our BRICS meetings. And I wish you continued good health and a safe return home and a longer stay in South Africa next time you visit. And now, Minister, hand back to you and thank you for this most wonderful meeting. Distinguished ladies and gentlemen, at the outset, let me sincerely thank once again our South African friends Personally, South African President Ramaphosa and uh, Minister of International Relations and uh, International Cooperation, Nala Dipanda, for the hospitality extended to us. We have stated a progressive development of Russian-South African relations based on a solid historical foundation. We have welcomed the consolidation of contacts between different ministries and agencies, the expression of uh, interparliamentary and interparty exchanges, in particular, I'm talking about uh, our uh, party or Russia, the United Russia and uh, the African National Congress. We have agreed to intensify our work in a whole range of areas in order to uncover fully the broad potential of our ties, especially in the area of economics. We have 
decided to intensify the preparation for the 17th regular mixed uh, intergovernmental committee on trade and economic cooperation. Mada Panda is its co-chair on the part of South Africa and on the uh, our part is the Minister of Natural Resources and Ecology, Mr. Kozlov. Special attention at this meeting will be paid to the cooperation in energy, science and technical areas, as well as to the issues of transport and other kinds of infrastructure, the cooperation in the peace exploration of outer space. We have paid today special attention to the need to broaden and develop humanitarian ties. There is a demand for that in our countries, our peoples are very interested in uh, developing contacts. We have agreed to increase uh, the number of uh, scholarships provided to South African colleagues in the framework of the federal budget of Russia. We've talked a lot about relevant international issues. Our countries are subsequent advocates of a more fair, inclusive, democratic and polycentric architecture of the world order, which would be based on the main principles of the UN Charter, the respect for the sovereign equality of all the states. And we are obviously speaking in favor for the increasing role of uh, South African Union uh, on all platforms, including in the context of the discussion regarding the reforming of the Security Council. We have uh, discussed our partnership and the UN in its different, different commissions and structures in G20, in the OPCW, in the framework of the Kimberley process. As for G20, we are in favor of the interests of African countries to be represented in this structure as the African Union, in addition to uh, the current members. We have discussed in details our cooperation in the framework of BRICS. We all agree that this structure is an example of a truly multilateral and multipolar diplomacy based on a search for a balance of interests. We share the priorities of South African uh, chairmanship that started on the 1st of uh, January and will take place under the MOTA Partnership for Rapid Growth, Sustainable Development and Inclusive Multipolarity. I would like to wish our colleagues success in the implementation of the outlined plans and, of course, we will facilitate they're putting into practice. We have exchanged notes regarding the settlement of the existing conflicts on the African continent, including in the Great Lakes region, in the Central African Republic, in South Sudan, in Mali, in the northern part of Mozambique. We have the same opinion. We believe that uh, the Africans are to define for themselves the solutions to these problems on the continent. And we highlight the active role of uh, South Africa and its president uh, in a whole number of crisis situations. And the international community is to support the ways of settlement chosen by African countries themselves, including in the framework of the African Union and different sub-regional organizations. Russia will be actively helping to normalize the situation in hot bands of tensions through the consolidation of peacekeeping potential of African countries. We are ready to train them in our country. We provide equipment to 
the relevant missions of the African Union and other organizations. We are interested in consolidating our dialogue regarding the development of the partnership between Russia and the African Union, I've already mentioned that, and with other leading sub-regional organizations, including with those where South Africa is an active member. We've also discussed the preparation for the second summit Russia-Africa that will take place at the end of July this year in St. Petersburg. We assume that its results will be based on the work we have already done after the first summit uh, in autumn 2019 in Sochi and will enable our ties to reach new horizons. We hear a big interest on behalf of our African friends to, uh, in making this event successful. Upon the request of my colleagues, we have discussed in details the course of the special military operation in Ukraine, which is aimed at saving civilians and preventing the creation of direct threats to the Russian security near our border. And that is something that the U.S. and the NATO allies have been doing for years. We appreciate the independent, well-balanced and considered approach by our South African friends. In general, I believe the talks have been very fruitful and they have confirmed that in our relations there are good perspectives. And I'm sure that the implementation of the agreement that we have reached today will give a new impetus to the mutually beneficial cooperation between our countries in the whole range of areas. Thank you for the attention. Thank you very much, Excellencies. Um, we will now take questions. I believe the first question is from Ms. Sofumukwena of the SADC. Please go ahead. Thank you so much, Sofumukwena from the SADC, uh, South African Broadcasting Corporation. My question is directed to both Minister Pando and uh, Minister Lavrov. The world is looking forward to hear good news in terms of the end to this current conflict or war in Ukraine. Earlier on, Minister Lavrov pointed out that uh, Russia is willing to engage. Uh, are we likely to see the peace process very soon? And if so, in terms of mediation, who will be better placed to assist these two countries to come to the negotiating table? and? to stop the war in Ukraine so that we don't continue to experience or see the loss of lives from both sides. And the last question is in relation to the military exercise in the Indian Ocean next month by both China and Russia and hosted by South Africa. There has been a mixed reaction to that uh, engagement next month with people, some uh, criticizing the move, Minister Pando, uh, to allow that kind of uh, uh, exercise in the midst of uh, all the tension in Ukraine or the war in Ukraine. From your perspective, what is South Africa's reaction? And also to Minister Lavrov, what is your reaction to the criticism that the timing is not correct? 
As they say at different conferences, thank you for your statement. But as for the first part of the question that you have uh, explained in details, we have already spoken on numerous occasions in public. We have expressed our assessments, and I'm convinced that the mass media in the whole world that are interested in what is happening around Ukraine have uh, got acknowledged with our comments made by the president of Russia and by myself. As soon as the Ukrainian side at the beginning of March proposed to start talks, agreed. We agreed there were three rounds in Belarus, several, several rounds uh, online, and then there was a meeting in Istanbul at the end of March. It took place upon the invitation of our Turkish colleagues, and Istanbul the Ukrainian delegation came up with the draft project with the principles of the settlement that we supported and uh, on the basis of the document and in accordance with its principles, we came up with the draft treaty, correct from the judicial point of view, and at that moment, the Ukrainian side got signals from Washington, London, Brussels, I don't know from where, according to which it was too early for the Ukrainians to start talking with Russia. They said that if Russian had agreed to have talks, it means that it meant that they were weak and that they needed to continue to put pressure on them. Then Mr. Burrell said that Ukraine was to win on the battlefield. I don't recall that any of those journalists who are interested in the prospects of peaceful agreement asking Burrell why he talked about a military solution, not about a conflict. And I don't recall any of our Western colleagues, including Stoltenberg, uh, Mr. Burrell, the representative of the Ukraine, uh, of the American administration, saying that it was time to find a solution. They said that it was too early to find an agreement and they needed to gain more, to become more powerful and to achieve Russia's defeat because they want us to come back to the borders of 1991. I know that you've got acquainted with the statements. As for uh, the one who can become uh, the mediator, I can say that last year Mr. Delensky signed a decree, a legal binding document that prohibited any Ukrainian official to have talks with the Russian side. It is just prohibited. So you can ask anyone, any mediator, to clarify how the Ukrainian side sees the further development of the situation as uh, 
The president said we do not refuse negotiations. Those who refuse, and I will outline them later, are to understand that the longer they refuse, the more difficult it will be to find a solution. That is that for my remarks regarding the first part of the question as for the military exercises. I think there is nothing to comment on. There are three sovereign countries. They don't violate any norms of international law. They will conduct exercises. I don't understand how they can provoke a mixed reaction, maybe only with our American colleagues, because they believe that only they can have exercises all over the world, and not only on their more than 200 military bases all over the world, but at any place. Now they are actively involved in um, naval exercises in the framework of their Indo-Pacific strategies uh, near China, in the Chinese Sea, in the Taiwan Strait, and it doesn't provoke any mixed reactions. At least I haven't heard mass media asking questions about the U.S. doing something dozens of miles away from its coastline. Our exercises are transparent. We, together with our uh, South African and Chinese partners, have provided all the relevant information. It is available. Of course, uh, there can be mixed reaction that you have mentioned. Uh, the White House representatives uh, once were asked at a briefing several years ago about uh, Washington's attitude to Russia's representatives to Nicaragua, and they gave a direct answer. They said that the relations between Russia and Nicaragua provoked a concern with them. That was the reaction. So there are those who try to monopolize international relations and who say openly that there can be no competitors of the U.S. and Russia is proclaimed to be the main threat and Chinese is a long-term challenge that they need to overcome. That is a mentality. That is a mentality that falls out of the international norms framework. We know that the U.S. and their satellites from Europe are promoting um, rule-based order conception, and no one of our Western colleagues has ever explained to me what rules they are, despite my numerous requests. There are no such rules. That's just what Washington decides that is supported by London and Brussels. It's a problem. It's a flagrant violation of the main principles of the UN Charter on the sovereign equality of all states. And we don't want to provoke any scandals or confrontation. We just want every country to be able to have their own rights in the international system as provided by the UN Charter on such basis, not on the basis of dictatorship and imposing decisions, but on the basis of consensus, mutual equality, a search for a balance, we are developing our cooperation, including the framework of BRICS.
thank you very much, uh, Sophie, for those questions. Uh, well, uh, indeed, we have uh, discussed the matter of uh, the Ukraine-Russia conflict. We've got a very extensive briefing uh, from uh, our colleague, Minister Lavrov. And we reiterated, as I've done publicly, South Africa's desire that there be a diplomatic solution and that negotiations should be something all of us work toward, uh, particularly in the context of the United Nations, which is the global institution that we all accept as the premier multilateral institution. We reiterated that belief and we continue to hold uh, uh, to it. As to who will mediate, again, that will be a decision uh, that I think the globe, global community and leadership must take uh, together. The first is to decide to seek peace, which is what South Africa desires, and then other matters will ensue uh, from there. With respect to the military uh, exercise, which has uh, had the commentary you referred to, you will recall my remarks a few months ago where I indicated that one of the things we as Africans need to resist is this impulse of wanting to direct a double standard form of international conduct toward us. That what I do is okay for me, but you cannot do it because you are a developing country or you are Africa. That is an abuse of international practice. All countries conduct military exercises with friends worldwide. So there should be no compulsion on any country that it should conduct them with any other partner. It's part of a natural course of relations between countries. So I think uh, we need to explain this to the public. Maybe as the, uh, the broadcaster, you could develop a list of the uh, military exercises that there have been just in the last year, up to the ones planned by China, Russia, and South Africa and alert our community to the fact that this is just a natural set of exercises that occurs between countries that have such uh, relationships. And we should not deny any country the right to participate in such. Телеканал Россия, пожалуйста. Да, большое спасибо. Мой вопрос и вам, Сергей Викторович, и госпожи Пандер. It's uh, uh, Russia TV. It's uh, the question about uh, economics and how is the economic relationship is uh, um, built between our countries when there is no colonial politics between our in, in the world. So how this. Uh, um, uh, uh, influence our bilateral relationship uh, with the uh, with South Africa. Our president has mentioned the resurrection of neo-colonial policy. It's not even a resurrection because it has never disappeared. But uh, the West uh, conducts it uh, not only towards the developing world, but what is done towards the Russian Federation is also an attempt to introduce some elements of a neo-colonial policy. And it also concerns some major states 
that uh, the U.S. are trying to pose problems to. Uh, you've heard about aggravating sanctions against Chinese, so they threaten everyone. And uh, officials from the State Department, from the White House, throughout the recent years before the special operation began, had said that any major country, whether India, Turkey, or Egypt, had to think carefully before deepening their relations with the Russian Federation. How can we interpret it? if not as an attempt to dictate their norms and a complete lack of uh, human and diplomatic ethics. That is true that our relations, in particular with South Africa, are affected by this uh, illegal sanctions. Uh, that's all the reflection of the mentality that goes uh, as uh, I can do everything, but if you want to do something, I will see and decide if you can do that. But life goes on. We There is a mutual interest between the governments and uh, companies uh, of both countries to develop cooperation in the area of natural resources, energy. I have already mentioned the plants of uh, South Africa in the area of atomic energy where we can our cooperation can be very useful. They also include infrastructure, peaceful outer space, high technology. Uh, smart cities. Today, uh, Madam Panda has mentioned that uh, she has uh, said that uh, South African Republic is interested in that. And uh, it is all connected to uh, delivery, supply chains, uh, and uh, logistic issues. We are working on developing new tools and mechanisms that would not depend on arbitrary actions by our Western colleagues. That is all real, and that's what we do with all of our partners who want to cooperate honestly and who don't want to be a victim of dirty conference and an abuse of a globalization mechanism that this Western colleagues were so proud of because they developed them. Thank you very much. I think my colleague has really answered the question. I just wanted to stress that South Africa and Russia have very good economic relations. In our deliberations, we agreed there are many sectors in which we can expand uh, economic and trade relations. Uh, we have uh, had a decline uh, in the COVID era. We'd like to get back to the pre-COVID levels and do uh, even more. So uh, this is an area of great importance. But just to stress um, the concerns on uh, neo-colonial uh, attitudes, uh, you would know uh, that the world, particularly in the financial and economic domain, is greatly influenced by rules developed in Bretton Woods uh, institutions. Uh, these institutions do not always uh, take account of the developmental needs of the poorest and most vulnerable uh, countries. This is why we are having discussions as BRICS as to what we can do to really introduce a greater focus on those that need support in order to develop and where we would have fairer trade, 
and financial rules in the economic domain, because at the moment, the rules and the institutions really work against the poorest and most marginalized. And so this is a task uh, that we as uh, the BRICS countries need to look at uh, with far greater concentration and to really look at what form of reform or radical change we would want to see in the IMF, the World Bank, and other international uh, development finance institutions which do not as yet sufficiently focus on the development aspect. Uh, thanks very much. Thank you, Excellencies. Uh, Peter Fabricius. Matt, can you hear me? Um, Peter Fabricius, Daily Mail. My first question is to Minister Lavrov, if I may. The, the Russian military is focusing a huge amount of its uh, attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure targets in Ukraine, firing hundreds of missiles and drones over the last few months, which have mainly destroyed electricity infrastructure such as substations. This has cut off electricity to much of the population, plunging more than half the country into darkness and cold in the middle of winter. Is your aim to destroy the morale, the will to fight of the Ukrainian people so that they surrender? And if I may, to Minister Pandor, on February 24 last year, almost 11 months ago, the, the day Russia invaded Ukraine, your department issued a statement calling on Russia to, quote, withdraw its military from Ukraine immediately, in line with the UN Charter, which enjoins all member states to settle their international disputes by peaceful means in such a manner that international peace and security and justice are not endangered. South Africa emphasizes respect for the sovereignty and territorial integrity of states, you said. Did you repeat that call in your meeting with Mr. Lavrov today? And if so, what was his response? And if not, why not? Uh, and if not, what, if not, what is your essential message to him about how to end this war, if not the withdrawal of Russia from Ukraine? Thank you. You would be a good prosecutor, I'm sure of that. We don't hit or attack the civilian infrastructure there is a great amount of evidence testifying to that. All of the damage to the civilian infrastructure is connected to the criminal actions by the Kiev's regime that has been deploying for months heavy weapons and air defense systems in residential areas. And, uh, a former advisor of the administration of the Ukrainian president, I believe the surname is Aristovich, when what you saw in Dnepropetrovsk happened, said that it was work conducted by the Ukrainian air defense system that had hit Russian missile that was flying over the territory. Those uh, countries who want to respect the international humanitarian law don't do that. When we are accused of using force on purpose against the civilian infrastructure, there are 
just uh, some separate comments like that. Um, when we ask this question, I would like to say that I don't remember Daily Miro or another mass media close to you be preoccupied with what has been happening in Donbass since 2014 after the coup d'etat in Ukraine. Maybe in your archives you have your coverage of the catastrophe in Odessa when militants not hiding from everyone posing in front of uh, cameras burned almost 50 people alive and those who jumped off windows in order to save themselves were shot at. Uh, I don't remember this situation provoking any concerns in Western mass media and in Western politics in general. I don't recall West being concerned about regular almost every day shelling of Donbass for having refused to accept the coup d'etat. And then the Minsk agreements were signed and they obliged Ukraine to directly harmonize with Donbass its special status and its right to use the Russian language, its right to, has, to have its local pol uh, police and the right to be consulted while appointing prosecutors and judges. Those are just a couple of measures and they were adopted uh, consensusly by the UN Security Council and those who signed the agreements except for President Putin, Alant, Merkel and Poroshenko openly and uh, even proudly admitted that they didn't care about the Minsk agreements and they, they had signed them only in order to gain time to pump Ukraine with weapons. To, in order to do what? I think you will be able to figure it out by yourself. In order to make Ukraine pose a threat to the Russian Federation, I'd like to remind you that it's a threat just near our borders. It's not the same situation as it was with the U.S. when they thought that uh, Yugoslavia or Libya threatened them and they conducted aggressive actions, uh, destroying countries entirely. As for us, we've been warning for years about the need to implement the Minsk agreements. Could you imagine banning the English language in Ireland? What would great Britain do. By the way, it's the only country who claims itself uh, great. Oh, and I think that uh, Libya also used to do that. Or oh, what would France do if it was prohibited in Belgium to use uh, the French language? Or what would Sweden do if in Finland uh, the Swedish language was prohibited? And there can be numerous examples, but in Ukraine it happens as if it was normal. Neither Poroshenko, who used to be the president, or Zelensky, who is the president now and who were 
elected under the mottos of uh, gaining peace just after the elections turned into Russophobic presidents. They passed laws uh, prohibiting mass media and education in Russian, including Ukrainian mass media that broadcast in Russian. Those laws in reality prohibit the use of the Russian language even in everyday life, not to mention the prohibition of Russian classic books, any cultural context uh, related to the Russian language. Uh, Western countries support all that, just as they support uh, regular neo-Nazi marches with swastikas, with uh, assess divisions, uh, symbols that were recognized as criminal ones by the Nuremberg Tribunal. They support all that. When we are commenting on what is happening in Ukraine, we need to understand that it's now almost not a hybrid war, but a real one, that the Western countries have been preparing for ages in order to abolish everything related to Russia in Ukraine, everything that existed in Ukraine for centuries. And Zelensky, who is making statements in divorce and Emmy's awards uh, at some athletic events, uh, has said publicly uh, in September, October, before we began the special operation, when he was asked about the attitude towards people living in Donbass, he said that there were people and they were species. And also the main Democrat of Europe, Zelensky, said that if any citizen of Ukraine felt associated with the Russian culture and felt a part of the Russian world may leave the country for the sake of their future and the future of their grandchildren. I've already mentioned the French-speaking population of Belgium and the English-speaking population of Ireland or in Scotland. I can also mention Scotland. If such a nationalist situation occurred there, the reaction would be different. But no one's speaking about that. You call what we've done an intervention, but you ignore the fact that we've been speaking for eight years, calling for the Kiev regime to put into practice what was agreed uh, consensusly at the Anti-Security Council. No one did anything. And when we submitted a proposal to strengthen the security guarantees in Europe, we just were not listened to. It happened in autumn last year. Just like before, they didn't listen to our proposal so, um, at, uh, in 2018 when we suggested to sign uh, a treaty on European security. Aren't you sleeping already? Did something happen? No, it's okay. So I can mention any episode, any situation. You can take it off the context. You can build your career on that. You can work for the benefits of your own government, but we are trying to be honest and to honestly um, describe the real events. 
and uh, all the honest researchers understand why what happened in Ukraine happened. Right. I think it was very appropriate early into uh, this conflict to make the statement that we made as Durko, because had we been able to persuade at that early stage, we would not be where we are now. But to repeat that statement to Minister Lavrov today would make me appear quite simplistic and infantile, given the massive transfer of arms that has occurred, given the level of conflict that there is, and all the developments that have occurred in almost a year, a month from now. So, uh, no, I did not repeat that particular statement to Minister Lavrov because I don't wish to appear as though I don't know what has occurred in the world. The last question, Russia Today, please. Hello, Donald Corder, Russia Today. Um, I is for both foreign ministers here. Um, recently, the U.S. Treasury Secretary said that uh, Russia is trying to weaponize food and that Putin's actions are actually causing a drag on the African economy in general. So I'd like to uh, hear the response that both of you have for that. But um, I'd also like to ask a, a couple other questions to specifically to Minister Sergei Lavrov. Uh, I wanted to understand these naval joint naval drills that were mentioned earlier. Do you see this as uh, sort of foreshadowing of further uh, military cooperation between BRICS countries? And there's also another question I'm going to ask on behalf of Sputnik. Uh, it has to do with the fact that the United States has been um, pressuring African countries that even dare to potentially have some sort of good relationship with Russia. Um, do you think it's okay for that to be done? And also, what can Russia do to help uh, African countries that are trying to combat that sort of pressure from the United States? You've mentioned so many things. As for the statement by Madam Yellen, it's so difficult for me to comment on them because we have repeatedly presented facts uh, in the UN, the different press conferences in Moscow and abroad, and uh, these facts prove convincingly and they are underpinned by the statistics of the World Food Programme and the uh, UN Food and Agricultural Organization, FAO, the facts testify and show that uh, the problems on the global food market started before the special military operation. Everyone knows that when there was the an outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemics, our Western colleagues in Europe and uh, in the USA printed out uh, trillions of millions of dollars and started to buy food everywhere in the world, um, being afraid that the pandemic would create a food crisis. And uh, this crisis really uh, was there, but because of their uncontrolled actions. And there was another factor, a politicized uh, and uncontrolled transfer to the so-called green economy, our Western Partners refused uh, from their long-term uh, gas supply contracts in particular. By the way, now trying to replace uh, the Russian gas 
Europe uh, talked uh, in particular to Qatar, to the U.S., who agreed to sell their expensive uh, liquefied natural gas in replacement of the cheaper Russian gas. And uh, as I have mentioned, they've talked to Qatar. They propose long-term contracts, the same contracts that they wanted to refuse from. And uh, there are a lot of factors that have contributed to the current situation. I am convinced that Madam Yalom is a great professional. She's well aware of everything. And uh, everything is turned into a weapon. Gas, oil, grain, and maybe it's even sport is being turned into a weapon. And uh, if we win over Western countries, then we are accused of turning everything into a weapon. So once again, I've uh, conveyed to my colleagues a renewed uh, and updated text that explicitly describes the situation on the world food markets. By the way, as soon as uh, Mr. Guterres, the uh, Secretary General, proposed his Green Initiative, we agreed immediately and we opened uh, safe corridors from Ukrainian ports through the Black Sea uh, using uh, Bosphor and Dardanelles Straits. And uh, at the beginning, Ukraine refused to let uh, its ships pass through mines in the sea. and But then we were able to conclude two agreements, one on lifting all the obstacles for Russian fertilizers and grains, and another one on uh, exporting grain from Ukraine. The Ukrainian deal is being implemented more or less. Uh, most of the grain goes to the European Union, and uh, additionally, almost the same amount goes to developed countries. As for the poorest countries, they get just a tiny bit, though allegedly Guterres promoted his initiative for them. As for the Russian grains, no UN efforts contributed to making the uh, US and the EU the obstacles on our way. Both Brussels and Washington keep claiming that no sanctions on food and fertilizers uh, have been imposed. Of course, there is no such word as a food and uh, such word as fertilizer, but uh, it's, uh, they also say that uh, the Russian ships cannot call at uh, other ports and foreign ports cannot call, uh, foreign ships cannot call at Russian ports. There is um, a prohibition imposed on our main agricultural bank uh, to use the SWIFT system. There are loading problems, uh, problems with insurance. And Mr. Guterres has spoken about these problems in particular in public, but nothing has changed so far. 
and Western countries continue to claim that uh, food and uh, fertilizers are not under sanctions. It's uh, similar to the motto according to which uh, the Russians are to be blamed for everything because they turn everything into a weapon. Uh, but uh, this is just a motto. As for all concrete issues that Guterres uh, says he wants to solve, I just set aside and I just ignored. Even the fertilizers that uh, were proposed for free and that are in European ports, right about. Uh, 200,000 tons. After they had been arrested, were proposed to other countries because we don't want uh, these uh, fertilizers to be wasted. Uh, they are losing in its quality. We want them to be sent to the poorest countries, but. Uh, Mr. Putin uh, drew the attention of the world community to this initiative uh, six months ago, but since then, only 20,000 tons have been sent from the Netherlands to Malawi. Uh, at least three months ago, such an agreement was achieved, and uh, the fertilizers were, have been sent recently. As for all the other ports, especially the Latvian ones, there is no progress with regard to this. Uh, say once again free fertilizers as for naval trails and uh, the fact that it reflects uh, the intention to develop military cooperation we develop military cooperation with china with uh, south africa uh, minister, the minister of defense of south africa visited an event in russia uh, in august uh, including uh, the Technical military technical forum army 2022 and uh, the practice of trilateral drills is not something new. We had a similar drills with the participation of India and China. Their goals are first of all anti-terrorist ones, and I would like to reiterate that we are perplexed by the way our Western co colleagues provoke uh, a lot of noise uh, around uh, such ordinary things uh, in the life of uh, sea powers, especially in the situation when Western countries conduct such drills much more often than we do. And the pressure put by the U.S. on African countries and also on Asian, Latin American ones is constant. And Westerners uh, say uh, constantly in public that those who cooperate with Russia will regret about that. They threaten major states who are great powers, great civilizations uh, ha that have existed for thousands of years, and they ignore the fact that these civilizations have national pride. Maybe not all Western uh, countries have this feeling. They not all of them understand this feeling, but it doesn't mean that uh, they don't have the obligation to study history and to behave uh, well in uh, on the diplomatic arena. I've uh, reiterated on multiple occasions that by threatening and exercising pressure, the Brits and the United States uh, cross all the red lines because 
they also uh, say that some political activists have accounts in Western countries and that they say that uh, they are children studying other Western countries as well. So that is their attitude to democracy. Mr. Burrell has already said that Europe is a blooming garden and the rest of the world uh, is just jungles that they need to escape from, but uh, at the same time this territory is supposed to be monitored so such assessments and such mentality is manifested on a regular basis uh, when western speakers make statements uh, they keep state, stating they are the uh, main reference point for democracy and Zelensky does the same but when we are talking about democracy to them we understand that the only thing they are interested in is that in the countries they want to be present, there are orders under their control and under their slogans. When we propose to our Western colleagues to talk about democracy, international relations, they don't want to discuss that. They, uh, they prohibit even uh, mentioning that. So there is international legislation set forth in the UN Charter, but they have also their own separate norms. As for the attitude towards the Ukrainian crisis, um, there are British, uh, European and American envoys who run over the whole world, threatening all the countries and asking them to join anti-Russian sanctions. But if you are a good diplomat, if you respect uh, the sovereignty of other countries, uh, you know that Russia has uh, explained why it's doing what it is. Uh, and West uh, has refused to comment on our president's explications of what is going on. They just uh, take the 24th of February out of the context and they ignore everything else. This situation had been developing for years with the direct assistance of Western countries, but no one recalls that the history has been just cancelled and uh, the tragedies of Donetsk and Luhansk, the bombardments um, in Donbass uh, still are still underway and Western countries understand that these areas are attacked with Western weapons on purpose. It wasn't that someone shot at a missile and it fell accidentally um, at a civilian facility. No, they do it on purpose. They choose these facilities themselves. We have been explaining why we are doing what we are doing after eight years of uh, fruitless hopes that the Minsk agreements will be implemented. We had to do what we do. If you respect other countries, then why don't you let them adopt their own stance? Why do you demand that they join your sanctions? So that's why the notion of democracy is very specific in uh, 
the Western countries and the, the West doesn't want any democracy, international affairs. They have only jungles and a blooming garden. That's all. Uh, I think it would be really good if uh, our friends in the media who have very powerful investigating ability could just track where the grain is going. It's very interesting to have the facts behind that. I know there's a significant blockage of news and there's a lot of distortion uh, that we are seeing in world news, but it would be good to just track one thing and to have a report on it that gives us a sense of where is this grain actually getting to? And is Sub-Saharan Africa receiving uh, access uh, to uh, wheat? On the uh, military exercises, I wish to uh, preface my comments by saying I reiterate the view of South Africa that multilateralism and dialogues are key to unlocking international peace. I reiterate that view because that is the South African position. We have continued and will continue to urge that there should be a diplomatic solution and process to this current conflict because we regard war as terrible. We regard war as a negative for development and for world security. So we will continue to call for dialogue. And we will reiterate our view that the concerns of both nations must be addressed in that process of diplomacy. So I think I, I need to say that because these are the categorical and clear statements that the government of South Africa has reiterated time and again. On the exercises, which are called Exercise Morsi II, between Russia, China, and South Africa, these are part of a program of military exercises that the South African Defense Force has as part of agreements with many countries worldwide. No one asked us questions about exercise shared accord with the United States of America a short time ago. Nobody asked us about why we have military exercises called Exercise Oxide with France just last year in November. These are all part of exercises we undertake to hone the skills of our military and to be able to respond to a range of situations, including disaster management, which our military often plays a role in addressing. So I, I just think it's important that we regard all countries as sovereign nations and not stop doing so when it suits us. And then when it's something else, then we say, yeah, no, you must relate to us. But when it's someone else, say, no, 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 no. We don't allow that kind of division to be sought from us as South Africans. We believe we should have the right to decide who we relate to and on what basis. This is our foreign policy position and uh, we will hold on to it. Thank, thank you very, thank much, you very much. much.
Thank you very much, Excellencies. That brings us to the conclusion. There's just a request, uh, Excellencies, for another handshake behind the flags, because uh, the earlier one uh, didn't have a nice background. So we won this one. Thank you very much. for